0: I'm so excited to learn more about this different kind of more that only God can offer us. And so we're going to be hearing from two of our main session speakers over the next couple days about that. But I get the privilege to introduce to you the first main session speaker, Matt Bradner. And so we're really excited to welcome back Mattie B to SMC. Him and his wife, Julia, live in Lynchburg, Virginia, with their five kids, which I'm sure you'll definitely hear more about later. Matt has been on staff with Campus Outreach for over 20 years, and he now focuses on staff development on the East Coast. He also helps with leadership consulting with groups like Chick-fil-A. Like I said, Matt has been here before. This isn't his first SMC. He was here a couple years ago, and it was a huge highlight to so many students. So get excited and put your hands together for Matt Bradner. Thank you. How we doing? Y'all doing all right? We're, somebody told them I was taller than I am. Uh, I'm a little shorter. All right, uh, it's good to be here with you as uh, I try to get this down slightly. I'm uh, so as uh, you heard, my name's Matt Bradner. Now most people in my circles uh, know me as Matty B. You're welcome to call me Matty B. Or if the bald head is too much, Mr. Bradner's fine also but I'm glad to be here. And I'm technically here in Branson alone, but I'm definitely not in reality. I was sent with joy by my home team, the Bradner clan, as we call ourselves. And I figure since I'll be with you three uh, sessions, then it's probably fitting to let you get to know me a little bit. So let's put up a picture of the Bradner clan. This is my crew, my home team. So my wife, Julia, we've been married 19 years. We met while we were both in college. She's a couple years younger than me. And we actually met through being involved in the same campus ministry, not Stumo, but campus outreach. And uh, I quickly developed a friendship with her and got to know her very well. But I waited until she graduated, graduated and then proposed to her. So we've had the privilege of uh, partnering together. One of the things we get to do is we get to encourage couples and families. So we've traveled the country, strengthening marriages and strengthening families. And that's been a real privilege for us. My wife, when she's not partnering with me, she's in childbirth work. I told somebody recently, my wife is in, in uh, child, childbirth work and, and they said, congratulations. I was like, no, no, like not that. She helps other people have babies. But uh, she runs a birth center. She's a midwife assistant and she is this Weird word that some of you will one day discover, a doula. So uh, that's Julian and I. Now, when it comes to the Bradner clan, our family culture, we've really bought into this vision that healthy families cultivate unity and celebrate individuality. I'll say it again. Healthy families cultivate unity and celebrate individuality. And what we mean, the vision for family, is that a healthy family is like an orchestra. If you've ever been to an orchestra, the first thing the conductor does is make sure all the instruments are tuned together and then they all play their own unique and beautiful sound, right? We believe that's a healthy family, not united in note, unique in sound, but united in purpose. Who are we, the Bradner family, but unique in person? So we give a lot of time to discovering the unique passions and gifts of our kids and then supporting them and sending them into the world. So let me give you a glimpse of some of the sounds I live with uh, real quick. So first, my oldest is my man, Isaiah. Isaiah or Zay Zay. Everybody in the Bradner house has nicknames. Zay Zay is 16 and literally, I'm not joking, he's intellectually brilliant. He was smarter than me at like age five. Like maybe I'll give him six or seven, it's not a joke. He's brilliant. Isaiah's a junior in high school. He just took the ACT for the first time. He Got a 35 out of 36, and that's not even the crazy part. The crazy part was when I picked him up, he said, I know what I missed, Dad. That's the crazy part, right? So a couple years ago, we found out about this card game called Pokemon. Uh, many of you know the Pokemon cards, right? Little Pikachu, so cute, right? Well, it's a card game, kinda like chess with cards. It involves math and problem solving and sequencing and mental competition. About five years ago, we were like, that's you, Isaiah. Well, five years later, Isaiah is literally, this isn't a dad boasting. He's literally one of the best Pokemon trading card game players in the whole world. They have, Pokemon has sent him and me to Australia twice, to Brazil four times, to London, to Germany. This is no joke. And just this year, because of COVID, we had just got back from Australia and Berlin got canceled, the World Championships in London got canceled, so they created the Pokemon Online Global Championships POG. And you know who's the 2020 Pokemon Online Global Champion? Isaiah Bradner, that's right, I'm his dad. All right, thank you so much. Now my second, my second is My man, Toby, or T-Boz. And if Isaiah is gifted intellectually, Toby is gifted in the arts. So Toby is 14, and he's a music producer, a singer, a songwriter, and a rapper, no joke. Toby Bradner, his style's very eclectic. His inspirations, if you know them, are John Bellion, AJR, and Logic. So that's Toby Bradner. He actually, and this is just a little shout out for Tobes, he just released a a new single recently, So you get on Spotify, Graduation by Toby Bradner. He would be thrilled if all these folks in Missouri were streaming his song. But in two weeks, he releases his first full album. He's had an EP called Nobody's Watching, Toby Bradner. But uh, I I love watching him make music. Number three, I'll go quickly. We've got Coleman or C-Train. He is our resident Tarzan. So a couple years ago, Coleman said, Dad, can I grow my hair? What do you think I said, right? Go for it. Uh, Coleman is into rock climbing. So he has the strongest grip, 13 years old in the entire family, and he has the most ripped core of which we get to see all the time in the family. And watching C-Train on the climbing wall is like watching Toby make music. It's just art. Our fourth is our only daughter, Eliana. She just turned 11 two days ago. She's literally the world's greatest travel companion. She's never-ending enthusiasm, always up for an adventure, and she loves fostering animals. Let that unsettle. We also fostered children before, but she loves fostering animals. In fact, I got a text a couple hours ago in all caps from my oldest, Isaiah, who doesn't really like animals. Uh, he doesn't like the outdoors. Um, is dad, all caps, come home. And I instantly knew what it was. The ladies were at the Humane Society. And a few minutes later, I got another text from the girls and it said, can we foster four puppies for three weeks? I said, do whatever you want. I'm saying no, Uh, we have four puppies. Uh, But she loves crafting and making all these little crafting uh, toys. She she has begged me for years for her own YouTube channel, Ease Crafties. And I won't let her because it will be a hit and I'm not ready for that. Lastly, my man Benson is six years old, and he is Dennis the Menace reincarnated. You might say, I I didn't think Christians believed in reincarnation. We do now, I promise you. (laughs) We do now, no. Benson, he he loves the outdoors. He loves finding animal bones. He has a massive collection of animal bones. He loves um, capturing critters and creatures, even poisonous snakes. He literally recently tried to grab for a copperhead, and we had a big talk. And um, last thing, unfortunately, he loves knives, no joke. Um, so sometimes people, they see a family picture like this. Uh, so that, that's enough Bradner clan. But, but sometimes people see a family like this, they hear you've been in ministry, you help marriages and couples, and you hear stuff about kids. And honestly, you just kind of paint the wrong picture. You get the wrong idea in mind. And let me tell you what I mean. So. We recently had a neighbor across the street, a young family, they they moved out, and a new young family moved in. And the first time we talked with the new young family, they said, the old family told us that the best thing about living here was that we get to live across the street from you. This is the first time we met them. They said, they said that you're the world's greatest family. And I said, well, that's because we cuss at our kids in the backyard, not the front. And literally, their jaw dropped, their eyes got big. I'm like, you don't even have to cuss anymore to shock people as a Christian. Just say the word, you know? And I'm like, look, I was like, like just to be real, we have all the same family problems you do. We, we might have some different solutions connected to our faith, but we live in the same world. And maybe you hear me talking about, about my family and you don't believe me, so let me put up another picture. This is me, my first week of college as a freshman. I'm on the far right, Maddie B. I got my hair put up in a ponytail. All the hair I'd ever grown still left on my chin. I'm double fisting a cheap beer. (laughs) And this picture really captures everything that I was about when I entered college. Number one, it was sports. I played college soccer and these were my freshman teammates. Number two, it was social life. I was all about a good party. And number three, it was just enough school to keep the first two rolling. That's what I was about. And if you would have asked me, give us your top 10 things that you're passionate about entering college, spiritual life would not have been on the list. But interesting enough, a few days after this picture was taken, I actually went to an on-campus Christian meeting and I brought somebody with me. So maybe you say, what happened, Maddie? Maybe you, you realize there's more to life than sports and social and school. It's time to get serious, prioritize. That sounds good, but that's not how it went down. Here's the real story. I was at an off-campus party and I needed to refill my red solo cup. And so I went to the beverage station and at the beverage station was a girl named Lindsay who was on the women's soccer team. And I'd met Lindsay during preseason and we would talk when we hung out And I guess I was feeling good, maybe it was the refill, but I decided that I'm gonna ask Lindsay out. And so I said, "Lindsay, you wanna go out next Tuesday night? And she said, I can't, I have plans. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to this on-campus Christian meeting. And without even thinking, I said, well girl, you know that's where I was gonna take you. Unfortunately, this is a true story. Uh, I hope you learn a lot from me the next two days. This isn't it, there's a point to this. It actually got worse. She said, really? Her eyes were really big, really? And this is the worst part. I said, yes, God is a big part of my life. And so anyways, that's how I ended up at an on-campus Christian meeting and I brought somebody the first week of school and we were there for 15 minutes. And I remember the songs that they sang didn't connect with me, the jokes that they shared, didn't land with me, and so I leaned over and I said to Lindsay, you enjoying this? And when she kinda gave me a, nah, that's all I needed. So 15 minutes in, we left. And I remember walking out of Holzhouser dorm, it was in their student room there, thinking, I guess Christianity's not for me. And then that night, or maybe one or two nights later, I can't remember exactly, I was laying in my bed in my dorm room, and I couldn't get four words out of my mind, and this four-worded question is what I wanna really launch this conference off with. This was the question I couldn't get out of my mind. What if there's more? What if there's more? And for me, that night, it was, what if there's more life than I'm experiencing? What if there's more to me than I'm believing, and then ultimately, what if there is more to God? What if there's more to Jesus than I'm currently understanding? If I could tonight, the kickoff of SMC 21, I would personally hand each of you that question. What if there's more? My number one and only goal this evening in this message is to invite you, would you be willing to consider with me the next four days and with the other speakers What if there's more? And would you be willing to take that to Jesus and just see what he says about it? That's the goal. I love starting a conference off with what if there's more for two reasons. Number one, what if is not a conclusion? It's a question. I cannot make any conclusions for you. The person you came with can't make any conclusions for you. I can offer you considerations of why I come to my conclusions, but ultimately, conclusions are up to you. That's why I love to just offer you the question, what if there's more? Would you be willing to consider it? And then the second thing that I personally love about what if there's more, it's the language of possibility. It's the language of dreaming. No matter where you are right now, more is a little further. Some of you might have heard me say, what if there's more, and think, well, he's not talking to me. Yes, I am. Some may have think, you may be here thinking I've arrived. No, you haven't. What if there's more? And others are here, honestly, in this spiritual thing, you're just really stagnant, you're stuck, and I'm just excited you're here just to say, what if there's more? What if there's more? It's a question, and it's a question where we dream, so here's what I wanna do the rest of our time tonight. I wanna introduce you to three people who all wondered if there was more, three people in the Bible, and what I love about these three people is that they're so different, different in life, different in circumstance, like I think we all are, but yet at the core, they're actually very similar, like I wonder if we are. You could say they were different looking, similar longing. Different in design, similar in desire. And my hope in sharing about these three people is not to answer the question. So I'm not trying to answer the question, what if there's more? I'm gonna offer some thoughts tomorrow morning, tomorrow evening, and other speakers are, some definite thoughts about it. But tonight is one goal. I just wanna affirm, encourage your willingness to say right now in your own way, whether just to yourself or in a prayer or to somebody you're with, you know what? I'm open to considering what if there's more and bringing that to Jesus. That's all I wanna do with sharing these three people is just to encourage you like, consider with me and let's see what Jesus has to say about it. All three of these people wondered if there was more. So who do we have? We have a scumbag who wants to see more. We have a hurting woman who wants to heal more. And then we have a religious teacher who wants to talk more. I think that probably covers most of who's in the room, right? You got those who are religious, you're spiritual, you have those who are hurting, and then you have scumbags, right? I'm looking for elbows. Um, my, my friends would have elbowed me. Uh, so let's look at the scumbag. We'll start with the scumbag who, whose name is Zacchaeus. Luke 19, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. There's so much here. I'm just capturing it in a few thoughts, but let's be clear from the beginning, Zacchaeus was a scumbag. He was a chief tax collector. Now, Rome governed the land that Jesus and the Jewish people lived in at that time that we now know as Palestine. Rome governed it, and one way they did it was that they put a heavy tax burden on the people in order to live in their home. And not only did Rome put this heavy tax burden, but you had scumbags like Zacchaeus who were of Jewish descent who said, hey, Romans, I'll help you put this heavy tax burden on my people as long as you let me take an additional cut and ask for more than you want. So you see what? Rome was taxing them, and he said, you know what? I'm going to tax them a little bit more to give Rome the money. And guess what? He was rich. It was working for him. He was a scumbag, but what I love about Zacchaeus was this. You would assume he would not be interested spiritually. You would assume this guy, he doesn't care about people. This guy has all the money he wants, but he clearly wonders if there's more. Something was going on with Zacchaeus where he said, what if there's more than the money? What if there's more than the power? and he hears Jesus is coming through, and so he says, I wanna see more. And then as the crowd is starting to gather right where Jesus is gonna walk, it's like Zacchaeus has a flashback. I mean, think about this. It's like he has a flashback to every parade he's ever been to as a child or an adult, and he realizes as people are gathering, I ain't gonna see anything. I'm a wee little man. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like, once again, you know, Santa comes by and I don't see him. Now, obviously Santa, he had not been to a Santa parade, but you get the point, right? And he could have stopped. He could have stopped again. I'm not gonna see anything, but he didn't. For some reason, he was willing to put the extra effort and he goes and climbs a tree and waits because he wants to see a little bit more. And I don't know, maybe some of you resonate with that. You were like me as a freshman in college. Everybody would assume your sports, your social life, your school, you're not spiritually interested, but yet you were. You were, you wondered if there was more and every single one of you had so many reasons to not be here, but for some reason, you made it work. You climbed a tree, you said, you know what, I could just say, oh, sorry, it's not gonna work out, but I wanna see more. Maybe you resonate with Zacchaeus. Pause that story. The second person is a hurting woman who wants to heal more. In Luke eight, we read this. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. And, And just so you know, the picture here is that this mob of people is developing around Jesus. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was leader of the synagogue he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. While he was going to Jairus' house, the crowds were nearly crushing him. So imagine the crowds, a throng of people, all following Jesus as he's going to this girl's house. And here's what we have a woman suffering for bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached him from behind and touched the end of his robe and immediately her bleeding stopped. There was a woman who was at the end of her rope, so to speak. She was hurting and she had been for over a decade. She was hopeless, she spent. She was broke, she spent all of her money and nobody could help her, they just made her worse. And here in this crowd of people, all of a sudden, what's the buzz? Well, Jesus is coming through and she gets a flicker of hope at the end of her rope and she sees he's right there. What if I touched the end of his robe? And so, hidden in a massive mob of people, she makes a last ditch effort to touch Jesus. And maybe you feel like that tonight. Maybe you're here and and honestly, um, you are hurting, you have been hurting. You feel at the end of your rope. And this is a last ditch effort. You wonder, could the more I want be in Jesus? Pause the second story and here's the last. The third person is a religious teacher who wanted to talk more. His name's Nicodemus. And in John 3, we find there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And and I'll pause there. Um, Essentially, uh, Nicodemus is what we would know. The Pharisees were the leading religious group of the time, and he was a ruler of the Jews. He was essentially a Bible teacher, a Bible professor that we know of. And, And he wanted more. And by the way, just think about this. You've got a leader from the secular world, Zacchaeus, I wonder if there's more. And you've got a leader of the spiritual world, Nicodemus. I wonder if there's more. And so we're told that Nicodemus came by night. It's very interesting that John wants us to know that he came at night. Why does John want us to know that? Well, first, I think because he actually came at night, right? But but why? But why did Nicodemus come at night? This is kind of conjecture. We're just trying to figure out maybe why, what would be the motives. And there's three real options. Number one, Nicodemus was busy during the day, right? He had a job. Night was his only option. That's a legitimate option. Number two, he knew Jesus was busy during the day and he wanted to talk to him alone. And so night was his only chance. Or number three, which is what I personally believe because of who and Um, how and who Nicodemus shows up later in John with, I believe that Nicodemus came at night because he was a little afraid. I think he was a little hesitant. Nicodemus was among a group of people that didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And I think Nicodemus had been watching Jesus and reading the scripture and he He had this growing interest in Jesus that he wasn't yet ready to make public, but he couldn't keep it private. And so he came at night. Maybe you resonate with Nicodemus. Maybe you're like some spiritual leader in some group you're in. Maybe a fraternity, sorority, a team. But you really still wonder, is there more? Um, Nicodemus came for more, or maybe... Um, you're, you're a little bit hesitant. You're not gonna post on social media that you're here at a Christian conference. Um, there could be many reasons for that. Um, your grandma would get on you. Um, my mom heard I was in Missouri at a conference, and she's like, ah, you know, I'm like, it's okay, mom. Ma. Um, but maybe you're hesitant. Maybe you're not ready to make this interest in Jesus public, but you also can't keep it private. So he comes, here we have friends, scumbag who wants to see more, a hurting woman who wants to heal more, a religious teacher who wants to talk more, three different people, yet similar in desires. They wanted more, and their pursuit led them to Jesus, and I'm simply asking you, tonight, would you be willing to just say in a quiet moment, If there's more, I want more, Jesus. Would you be willing to challenge him with that this week? And we could end there, but I feel like it would be one step short. I wanna end by answering one more question, and that's this. How do you know if you found more in Jesus? Like, what should you look for this week, right? You know you found more in Jesus when two things begin to happen. The first, it gets personal. You know you found more in Jesus. I'm saying bring the desire for more to Jesus and see what he does with it. How will you know? It gets personal. I don't know if you called it but all three people in their own way came to Jesus in relative obscurity. One was tucked up in a tree, one was hidden in the crowd, and one was alone at night. And the first like it's like if they could they would check the box, yes, I would rather remain anonymous, right? Or in our 2020 language they were maintaining social distance right yes but the first thing that happened to all of them and the first thing I'm telling you that will happen to you if you encounter Jesus this week is that he makes it personal he removes any distance that separates you Jesus might maintain social distance not relational distance he makes it personal When I was in college, the first week, every year, they had all these welcome back events. And the most popular event every year was a hypnotist. They brought in a hypnotist. And McKnight Hall would be packed every year. And every year, without exception, five minutes into the hypnotist um, performance, there was a mass exodus from like the first 10 or 15 rows. And they would either leave the auditorium or they would at least go to the very, very back of it. What happened that caused the mass exodus? Every year when he was going through his opening spiel, he said this, you all came to watch me, but what you don't realize is that you're the show. He said, many of you will volunteer to be hypnotized and there were others of you in the first 15 rows it will happen to you sitting in your seats. Mass exodus, literally every year, people be scrambling like, you know, get out of here. Um, Because they wanted to watch from afar. They wanted to stay at a comfortable distance and be anonymous and they found out this thing might get personal. Friends, Jesus always makes it personal. The first sign that you're getting more in Jesus is that when this cold, distant, and superficial part of your life called Christianity, and if that's you, I'm glad you're here, there's more. The distance leaves, the coldness leaves. If you've came to get a view of Jesus from the cheap seats, I'm here to tell you, if you meet with him this week, it will get personal. The second thing Jesus does, and you should look for this week, and I'll end with this, is your expectations are exceeded. I'm not talking about a hotel or conference or or restaurant expectations. I'm talking about an awareness of who God is and what he does for you. Jesus always exceeds expectations. He goes further than we thought. He gives more than we desired. Here's a way to think about it. We come to Jesus with a desire for more, and we leave with more than we desired. This is just what he does. We come to Jesus with a desire for more, and we leave with more than we desired. For time's sake, I'm not gonna put up the passages, but let me tell you our three friends that all wanted more, wanted to see more, wanted to heal more, wanted to talk more, they all encountered Jesus, and let me show you how with each and every one of them, he made it personal, and then he exceeded their expectations, and then I'll end. When walking through Jericho, Zacchaeus sees Jesus from up in the tree. That's what he wanted, he wanted to see him. But Jesus breaks the distance, he stops. You go look at it, Luke 19. He looks at Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, he makes it personal, Zacchaeus. He says, come down, for I'm going to your house today. He exceeded his expectations. Zacchaeus desired more, and he left with much more than he ever desired. When the woman in the crowd was at the end of her rope, and she touched the end of his robe quietly, discreetly, anonymously, she instantly knew that she was healed, and Jesus broke the distance. He stops and says, who touched me? The disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? You know, they're bound, it's a mob. And he says, no, who touched me? He wasn't gonna let her remain afar. He wasn't gonna let her stay in the cheap seats. He wanted a personal encounter, and when she realized she could not hide, it says she came down trembling in fear. She told him everything that had happened to her, all that she had been through, all that she had suffered, and how she had touched his robe, and she was healed. And the text makes it clear. She thought when he knows it was me, he'll remove the healing. And then he exceeded her expectations. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, you are well. She thought she would be cast away. And he said, no, we're gonna make it personal and I'm gonna exceed your family, your expectation. You have become my family. And lastly, Nicodemus wanted to talk to Jesus. Jesus instantly engaged him in a personal way. I know you're a teacher, a religious teacher. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says this, Jesus, I, we know that you wouldn't do the things you're doing unless God was with you. And he felt proud that he, that he was concluding that. And Jesus exceeds his expectations. He says, Nicodemus, if you are to enter the kingdom of God, God must be with you. In other words, you come excited that God is with me, the very God that's in me and with me can be and must be in you. Mind blown, expectations exceeded. This is what he does. Friends, three people, different circumstance, different lives, same desire. They wanted more. They went to Jesus to find it. And with all of them, he makes it personal. He exceeds expectations. So this week, look for more in Jesus, in the, in the sessions, in, in the, the breakouts, the encounters, and watch for when he makes it personal. Watch for those moments like this where you're reading the Bible and maybe this is new to you and all of a sudden you, you feel like this reading me. That's one of those moments, he's making it personal. Watch where something you've been wrestling over and you've been thinking about and, and somebody speaks right to it, he's making it personal. And last, watch for him to exceed your expectation. Watch for you to begin to think, wait, This God thing, this Jesus thing, this Christian thing is so much bigger and so much better than I ever knew it was. I brought this desire for more and I leave for more than I desired. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. I'm grateful that You've created this space where we can consider what if there's more and we bring that to you, Jesus, and, and we ask if you are who you say you are, if your word is not dead words on a page but living and active, then show up this week. Make it personal with us. Exceed our expectations. There's nothing, if you are God, then there is, n- being underwhelmed is not a thing. Overwhelm us, God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a good evening.